Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Good Grief. My name is Dr. Christine Malone, and in this podcast, we talk about trauma, tragedy, and survival. In each episode, I will interview someone that has gone through grief in some way, and we will discuss the impact it has had on their life. By sharing these stories, we hope that others won't feel alone should they be going through similar situations. Enjoy. Hello, welcome to our podcast. Um, my guest today is my daughter, Mallory McCollum, and we're going to talk a bit about um, her younger brother who passed away when he was four. So this episode's title is The Loss of a Brother. So Mallory, would you just take a couple seconds to tell our guests about yourself? Yeah, my name is Mallory, and I have two beautiful little kiddos at home, one and a half, three and a half, and a husband. Um, and we're here today to talk about um, my little brother yeah. and how he passed away. So I'm going to start out by giving the background for our guests, which, of course, is, is all stuff that you know, Mallory. Um, so Mallory's little brother, Ian, was born in 1999, and a series of medical mistakes at the time of his birth left him severely disabled for his life, his providers didn't believe he was going to survive even a day, let alone any length of time. Um, uh, his dad and I had a lot of struggles with our insurance company, which you can read about in my book, my spider killer book. Um, but in, 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 in essence, he needed round the clock care. We had nursing care in our home for uh, 18 hours a day. Uh, it hindered our abilities to go on vacation, certainly to live what others would call a normal child's life. Um, there was a lot of stuff that was involved with um, uh, you and your brother needing to be cared for by other people because um, Ian's dad and I were in the hospital quite a bit and so on. Uh, and then Ian passed away when he was when he was four and a half years old. So um, I'd like to hear a little bit about you, kind of your memories of Ian and your life as a child um, when Ian was, was still alive. Yeah. So, you know, Honestly, I don't have a ton of memories of when he was first born because I would have only been um, four or five years old. Six. You six, six. Oh, six. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then, you know, he passed away when I was in fifth grade. You're like nine when you're in fifth grade. So um, the memories that I do have, I think that I uh, are mostly good. I think that my brain has probably forced most of those memories to be good. Um, so I remember you know, him spinning around in his chair and doing his cute little laugh. Um, I think what I remember the most is his laugh. I can still hear it sometimes. I'm sure you can too. Um, doing little puppet shows while um, I would I would go in his closet and his nurse would, you know, sit him in his little chair and I'd do little puppet shows for him and he loved that. Um, so uh, like you said, you know, Ian never really... Um, surpassed what that like a three month old right. his brain so um you know doing little things with him like that so i'm not sure if he really ever like recognized me but he definitely liked to be spun around he liked to be talked to he loved the color yellow mm -hmm. which has become really significant um but uh, yeah i don't have a ton of memories of when uh like bad memories i would say yeah yeah i would like to think that there weren't that many bad memories for you and your brother. Um, not that you were protected from them, but the bad memories from my perspective all have to do with the healthcare settings and the healthcare he needed and seizures and medications and so on, which you and your brother did not have to be part of. Um, one thing that I, I do remember about that was uh, a, a time when you and your brother and I went on a vacation together and uh, we were at the hotel swimming pool and there was a little boy in the pool who was clearly very disabled. Both of his parents were supporting him in the pool. And I think you might've been maybe 
nine, eight or nine, and you swam over to this little boy and just sort of talking to him as if he was any other normal little boy. And I could tell that the, all the other kids in the pool had gone way off to the other side of the pool. They didn't want to be anywhere near this boy. They were afraid of him. Uh, and, and the fact that it's different. Um, but you went right over to them. And I could see that the parents were, were surprised, happily surprised that you did that. And I think they probably were wondering, well, how is it that this young child is so comfortable with someone so different than other people there? Um, do you remember that event? I do. Yeah. Did you ever walk up to them and tell them your story or? I did to some extent. After you had visited with them, I was admiring his wheelchair. <laughs> and I went over to the parents and asked them about the wheelchair because we were about to upgrade Ian to a bigger size wheelchair. And I wanted to know what they liked or didn't like about it. And I did mention, uh, obviously, that I had a handicapped son as well. Yeah, I think I think having Ian um, shaped all of our lives for the better. Um, obviously, I was much more accepting of um, people that were different. And I've, I think I've always been that way because, you know, he's born when I was young. Um, all throughout elementary school, any kid that was um, almost being shunned or, uh, you know, the, 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 the non-popular kid, um, I would always be the first to go up to them and be their friend and make friends with them. If they were new, anything, they were, they were my best friend. Somebody was picking on them, you know, I'd go stand up for them. So, um, you know, I think Ian has uh, helped me see that just because somebody's different doesn't mean that they're, that they're bad or, uh, or something like that. Yeah, I, I, I've noticed that a lot. In fact, I thought when you were younger, I thought to myself, she's going to go into social work or be a therapist <laughs> or something or work with disabled kids because you were just so um, good with them. Um, uh, do you remember Ian's funeral at all? I do remember Ian's funeral. Yeah, um, that was hard. Um, it was it was open casket, wasn't it? It was not. Oh, okay. It was not, yeah. Oh, I remember it was a child side. Yeah. yeah, I remember that being um, hard. I remember uh, our neighbors being there and everybody crying. Um, that one was hard for me because, um, you know, even though he was a child, we, he was sick his entire life and and it was inevitable that it was going to happen. So I think that for his entire life, we were prepared almost, I would say. So even though it was really hard when he did pass away, it was, um, it was almost like, you know, we, we knew that it was coming. So I had kind of internally processed it before it had ever even really happened. So although his funeral was hard and some people who barely knew him were sobbing their eyes out, um, I don't think that I cried at Ian's funeral. I don't remember crying. I don't remember you crying either. Yeah. I don't. Um, that's called anticipatory grief where we, we know it's coming and therefore we can prepare, prepare for it. It doesn't make it less painful, but it just makes it more expected. So it's not a shock. So I think that we were all in that same space too. Right. Um, Did you feel like when you went back to school, I mean, I imagine your, your classmates, your teachers probably knew that your brother had passed. And and did you feel like that they were supportive? Was, was their conversations with you helpful or not helpful or did they shun you? I mean, I'm just curious how that would work for you. I, I think that because I went back and I didn't talk about it because I, I guess that's the way that I deal with, with, um, you know, trauma and tragedy in my life is that I just don't talk about it, which is probably not good. But um, I think that I remember going back to school and not showing a whole lot of emotion, not wanting to talk to people about it. And I remember the school counselor coming down and wanting me to, you know, to, to talk to them and me being like, well, I don't have anything to talk about because I've already processed this, <laughs> which I, I don't think that I had, but I, in my little nine-year-old self, I've already processed this. I don't want the, the pity, felt like everybody was pitying me. 
Um, which I felt like for my entire life, people were doing that. Everybody would be like, oh, you have a brother who who's handicapped. Oh, and I didn't want that. I wanted people to, um, and I think that's probably why I went in and um, uh, swam with that little boy is that I didn't, you know, and I didn't show pity. I was like, you know, you're just like a normal, a normal person, you know, and, um, and at the same time, you know, his life was, he, um, he had a lot of stuff wrong with him. And that I, and then I almost feel like when he died, he had, you know, he, he had peace. He was no longer in pain. He wasn't, um, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've often said that I, I like to think, and I don't know what I believe about an afterlife or heaven or whatever, but, um, that wherever he is, that he's, happy and he's smiling and he's walking and he's eating and all those things that he couldn't do while he was here. So yeah. those are all, all wishes that I have in my head and how I kind of yet deal with the, the grief of him being gone. Um, now I could tell the stories about how many times I visit Ian's grave. Um, and I chose to have him buried rather than cremated because I wanted uh, an actual space to go to visit him, which was important to me um, rather than have, you know, ashes that I needed to, to either distribute or, hang on to it. Anyhow, I used to visit Ian's grave every day for about the first year after he died. Um, then I went down to about every maybe two or three times a week. And then for many years, I would go just once a week and on holidays and birthdays and so on and so forth. But um, do you ever visit Ian's grave or have you visited his grave? Yeah, I do. I visit his grave probably whenever we're in Everett. I just, um, even if I don't physically get out, I still like, drive by and I know exactly where he is because I went with you many, many, many times um, to his grave. So, um, yeah, I, I, I go there every once in a while, um, just to see his little, you know, his little, uh, picture of him on the picture. tombstone yeah. and, and, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know if you know this or not, but, um, for many years, actually for the last years since he's died, um, every now and again, when I get to his grave to visit him, someone else has been there and has left flowers or a stuffed animal or a balloon. Um, and I've never known who that was. I know it's not his dad because he's moved to Florida, um, I don't know if it was one of the providers who were involved in his injury that caused his death or maybe one of the nurses who cared for him. Mm -hmm. um, for many years, it used to make me angry because I thought, mm. how dare you come to this sacred place and yeah. leave things for my son? How dare you? Um, and I would destroy the things. I would, I would oh, take wow. them and throw them out. Um, and eventually I realized, you know, this, whoever this person is, they're, they're paying tribute to Ian. They're not desecrating his grave. They're not doing something horrible. They're bringing things and they're remembering him. And that... Um, gave me that piece to say, I don't, I don't have to hog this to myself. I, other people can, can grieve in the same way and it's okay. Right. Yeah. So that's, I think only been about five or six years that I've, I've oh, wow. gotten to that spot. So, um, so I remember when a couple different times during Ian's life on, especially on milestone birthdays, um, and you mentioned he really liked the color yellow, uh, we would release balloons, mm -hmm. um, for him, um, and kind of celebrate him. So does doing anything like that, help you with the grieving process or are those happy memories? I'm just curious how that feels for you. When we did release the balloons, yes, that was, that was healing. I think that um, there's such a stigma around a loved one dying, especially a child that most people think, well, we just don't talk about it. And um, I don't think our family's ever been that way. I think we talk about Ian all the time. We include him in, um, you know, holidays and everything. So um, remembering him on his birthday by releasing yellow balloons. Um, it, it was, it was nice. I still, it still boggles my mind that he, um, that he would be 24 this year and he died when he was four. So it's been 20 years. It's right. still, I, cause I still picture him as that little, 
uh, you know, yeah. the little baby, um, well, he wasn't little, the little four-year-old baby. Um, but yeah, it's been healing to, to remember him in certain ways and not just to be like, he's just that brother that, you know, that, that passed away 20 right. years ago. And um, just like um, your dad who passed away when you were young, um, you also saved the chair for Ian and your dad both when you got married. I remember yep. that yeah. um, kind of paying him that tribute. So um, that was very, very sweet of you to do. And I know you didn't do it just to be sweet. It meant something to you. So I appreciated it. Um, so yeah, he'd be 24 today. He'll always be four in my mind. And now that your son is coming on four, um, it's one of those things that makes me think, wow, he's the same age as Ian. Of course, in Ian's case, he'll always be, you know, like I said, mentally about a three month old or so on. So it's just very different for me. But I think for me, it makes me appreciate my grandsons even more because they're mm -hmm. so healthy and so vibrant and leading such a wonderful life with you and, and your husband. So um, do you have anything you would want to share with our guests about um, the loss of a, of a sibling, um, especially, like I said, you were young when he, when he passed and, and a lot of your formative years as a child, even though it's only four and a half years, those were very formative years and our life's very much changed after he died um, and so on. So any, any thoughts on that at all? Yeah, I would probably say, um, you know, don't, don't forget about them. They talk about them all the time um, because that, that was been, that's been very healing for me is to um, not just pretend like they never existed, but mm -hmm. to, to talk about them, um, you know, look at pictures of them, uh, think about the ways that they've changed your life. Cause like I said, I think Ian's changed our lives, um, for the better in a lot of ways. Um, so just, you know, um, remember yeah. them and keep their memories alive. Yeah. I know, I know for me with Ian, um, especially I like when people bring up his, his memories or uh, I'll post on social media when it's a birthday or something like that. I post pictures and so on. And it's not, um, a sense of wanting to linger in the past or continue to hold on to my grief, but to hold on to those, those good memories. Mm -hmm. And most of his life from his perspective was probably not very pleasant. I mean, he had a lot of surgeries and seizures and so on. Um, but there were a lot of uh, good, good things in there for the rest of us. And for a lot of people, especially if you know, um, Ian's story, you know, from the media and so on. So, um, is there anything else you'd like to add before we close out this episode? Um, I don't think so. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being my guest. Of course. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Good Grief. To hear more about my personal story, please pick up a copy of the book, The Spider Killer, a memoir of trauma, tragedy, and survival. You can find the book on Amazon and Kindle.